Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church. Continue with our series, and that is, who are we? We're looking at who are we. The focus is the church. Who are these people? And we've been going through this. We've touched many topics so far. But two weeks ago, we spoke about the church as God's ambassador of the gospel, the message of reconciliation. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. How does he do it now? He does it through the church. And we heard last week that the church, this beautiful church, is the body of Christ. How your, you know, the hands and the feet and everything is there in the church to do the work that God wants to do in the church. Today, we are looking at the church as God's army. The church as God's army. God created the universe. He created the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them. He made everything to look beautiful, to look great, for the eyes to see. Even God himself, having created everything, he went on to say, this is good, this is good. And then he created man and he said, this is very good. But we are told thereafter that something very sinister, something destructive entered God's creation somehow or God's world as it were. And this power, as we'll call it, or this creature entered God's world to bring destruction. All of a sudden, what we were presented with, it wasn't just God's world, it was God's world but with another power that's trying to destroy God's world, that's trying to lead the people of God astray. And the Bible seems to be talking about this power, about this creature, about this fallen angel, about this beast, about this thing. And it's using so many different names. And then some of the names are like Lucifer. In Isaiah 14, 12, how you... Lucifer, have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. The devil, it's another word. Peter and 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be alert and sober mind, for your enemy, speaking to the church, the church has an enemy. Who is that? The devil. Your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's always looking. He's an enemy. He's, he's declared war with God and war with the church. The other name is Satan. Then Peter said, Ananias, to Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5.3, he says, How is it that Satan has filled your heart. What does he do? He comes and he does what? He fills our heart that we might lie even to the Holy Spirit. And this man and his wife had kept for themselves all the money that they received from the land instead of being faithful to the Lord. But it's not just him. The Bible tells us that when this angel fell not only did he fall, but he took a few with him. He took some angels with him. And they are called, according to the Bible, demons. What are demons? Demons are fallen angels from heaven that are rebellious, 
and have fallen and are partnering with, with Satan, with, with the devil, with Lucifer, with the enemy, and they're partnering on the enemy's mission. And they go around the world, and everywhere they go, the purpose and the plan is to build army barracks or camps everywhere so that they might take over. And they do that in cities. They do that in nations, in countries, in cities, in villages, in towns. They do it in families. And they do it in our hearts. And their purpose and their mission and their focus is destruction, is darkness, is lead to lead people astray, to blind them people so that they might not see God, but they might see something else. They might be lied to and think that this is our hope, although this is not hope. They are on a mission. And their mission will never stop until they're destroyed. How far has he gone? Let me say this. Too far. How far has the enemy gone? Too far. I was under the power of the enemy once. He had come into my life. I was living. I had died to God. I was Dead before God. Why? Because he'd come. He'd lied to me. And he said, this is the way. And I'd given in to it. And he does that every day. He does that all the time. He goes into us and he speaks a lie. And he wants us to believe. He's gone too far. First John 5, 19. It tells us how far he's gone. He says, the world is under the power of the evil one. That's quite far. He is... Taking the world hostage. 2 Corinthians 4.4 The God of this age. Listen to that. He's now even called a God. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the glory of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So what has he done? The glory of Christ, something like this light that I'm looking at right now, it's a very attractive, good, God-centered glory of Christ that when I look at that glory, I become more like Jesus. What he has done is he's put a veil on me so that I might not see it. All I can see is darkness, is blindness, and he's able to wheel me around from place to place for his own destruction. He is coming. To bring destruction. Ephesians 2.2 says he calls him the ruler. Do you see how far he's gone? He's now even called the ruler of the power of the air. The spirit who is at work in the sons of disobedience. That's how far he's gone. But there is hope. Let's look at our God. Our God is different. There is hope in Jesus Christ that we'll find out more about that far surpasses anything that we could ever see or imagine. Two people in history who came across what they described as the Satan in their lives. The first one, by the way, is a man called uh, Martin Luther. Martin Luther, he said he was sitting down because he was a writer, okay? He was sitting down in the 1600s. He was sitting down, sitting on his reclining chair, and he was sitting there thinking in the middle of the night. He was busy writing books. And next to him 
was an inkwell. Do you know what an inkwell is? It holds a quill, that, that, the, the feather that he used to, to write. So he, like this jar full of ink was next to him as he was writing, he was thinking. And he describes this as the Satan, or Satan appeared in the room. He says he was in the corner somewhere. For some of you, you've not gone far enough. For some of you, you've gone too far anyway when it comes to this. But I'll, I'll explain. He said, I looked and I saw this thing, this creature that looked evil, that looked bad, that looked terrible. And he said, he took his inkwell and threw it at him. And he ignored him thereafter. That's an interesting one. How do you do that? Smith Wigglesworth, a great preacher of the word, great miracle worker, brilliant guy. Smith Wigglesworth said one day he could not sleep. He was having these nightmares and he, he just couldn't sleep. And he, he opened his eyes and he looked at the feet of, the foot of his bed and he says he saw, he describes as the devil. And he says, I saw him. And then he said, oh, it's just you. And he went back to sleep. He said, don't waste my sleep. Interesting approach, right? And you could say, was that him? Was that not? Was, that, was, that, was he hallucinating? What was going on there? The reality is, he is real. He is around. Don't sleep. The interesting one is, C.S. Lewis says, we, cannot, we should not put God here and put the devil here. And say, oh, he's just the exact opposite of God. He's not. God is here. This was an angel. Naughty angel. is not like the mighty, great, powerful God. He's fallen, rebellious, but he's not here. He's not the exact opposite. Not at all. One of the things that we can do sometimes is we can elevate him and give him all the attention that he doesn't deserve and talk about him all the time, almost as though he's very important. Let's not do that. Sometimes we see the devil in everything, aren't we? Casting out demons in cars and what have you. But anyway, the other thing is, the other thing is, the opposite of it, is that sometimes we can live our lives almost as though he doesn't exist. And be very ignorant and treat everything almost like, oh no, the battle has already been completely and utterly won. Of course it is won, but we'll find out how. The battle is won. Let's look at God. The Bible makes it very clear that our God is so tender. He's so loving. He's like, it's like the, the nursing mother. I mean, I look at Emily all, a lot of the time. I can't see myself when I'm doing it. I look at Emily, the way she looks at Dylan, especially when he's feeding and how she looks. It's amazing. And I started to love that is there, that she has for him. It's so amazing. That's how God looks at us. Tender, loving eyes that look upon you, every single one of us. But there's something else that you don't know or you might not know, and that is our God is also ruthless. He's like a man of war. He thunders in, in, in anger, and his anger is towards us. The devil. 
and his tricks and his plans and all that he tries to do to destroy the world. The Bible calls him, our God is a warrior. He's like a man of war. Exodus 15, our God is like a man of war, always armed for battle. Isaiah 42, he says, the Lord will march. He will march out like a champion. It's like he's entered a battle. He's on a battlefield. Like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal. And with a shout, the Lord will raise a battle cry and will triumph over his enemy. Is that the same person who was looking at you like this? Sometimes, some, how many of you have dogs here? Okay, cool. Sorry, I'll, you don't know why I'm asking you. Sometimes... Sometimes God can be treated like a little Jack Russell dog. Do you know what a Jack Russell is? It's cute, isn't it? And you look at it, it's cute. For those who don't like dogs, it's definitely not cute. But for those who love dogs, it is cute. And I agree with you only for now. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, it's cute, this dog. And, and sometimes you watch people, right? They let the dog come here and lick them and lick them. And have you not seen that? All right, if you haven't seen that, it does happen. But anyway, and... And the dog is so happy, and the person is so happy, and he's so cuddly, or one of those sausage dogs, or, or a chihuahua, you know, it's so beautiful, and so cute, and it licks, and it goes out. Sometimes we can treat God like a little chihuahua, you know that? That he's just so cuddly, just so nice and tender. But what we are hearing there is this is a mighty warrior who comes, he is dressed for battle, and he's ready to destroy his enemies. And we got to hold that picture of God, that balanced picture of God, that he, he's ruthless. He doesn't tolerate anything else. He is like that. Job, talking about God in Job 25, he says, he has troops that can never be numbered. There's so many. He has an army that is so vast that nobody else can ever number his army. Why does he have an army if there is no war? Job has witnessed this. And if you're wondering, that, oh, no, no, maybe it's God in the Old Testament. You look at Revelations. In Revelations 19, it speaks of Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, don't hear what I'm not saying. He's got a tattoo on his thigh. What does it say? King of kings, Lord of lords. And apparently he has a name that only he knows. How can you have a name that nobody else knows but you alone? That's, that's what Revelation says. He has a name. But he's also called the word of truth. He is riding on a white horse and he has his robe dipped in blood. And he is dressed for battle and he is ready. And behind him is an army that is there and ready to conquer. Let me say this. Our God never loses a battle. And our God never gives up. Our God never gets threatened. Our God never gets defeated. That is important. It is the truth that we need to know even when we face hard, difficult times. Who's, on whose side are you? On God's side. Our God never gets defeated. And that's important for us to grasp is the truth of the gospel that is there and rooted in scripture. God said that. I will never be defeated. On whose side are you? On God's side. But then he reveals himself in many different ways. He reveals himself as the God who fights battles 
that are here on earth, although he's up there, by sending a vast army of angels to fight battles for him. Remember the story of Elisha and the king of Ammon, Aram, sorry, the Arameans were powerful and they wanted to destroy the people of God. And somehow, every time they tried to go and to, 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 to set up an ambush against the people of God so that they might destroy them, somehow the people of God have found out. And the king of Aram said, how, did they, how is it that the, 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 the Israelites seem to know our plan all, every time? And, and one of the guys said, I think it's Elisha. He's a prophet. He knows all this stuff. And he goes and tells the king how to line up for battle, where to go, etc. And he said, all right, let's kill Elisha. That's what we need to do now. Let's kill Elisha. If we get him out of the way, at least we can set up an ambush and we can destroy the people of God. That's the plan. And all of a sudden, they come to try and destroy Elisha. And the whole nation comes. The army comes towards Elisha. They come close. And the servant of Elisha is looking out the window, and he can see this is about to happen. Elisha is about to be taken. And Elisha, like me, quite relaxed, having breakfast, not worrying about stuff. And, and, and the servant is panicking. It's like, this is about to happen. Something is about to happen. Elisha, what are we going to do? And, and Elisha said, what, what can you see out there? Said, I can see them. Look, look more. And then he looked, and on the hills were a vast army. That could not be numbered. What was that? Angels of the Lord coming to fight battle here on earth on behalf of his people. And, and the people were in disarray. They lost the battle. The Arameans, because God was fighting for his people. God always fights for his people. In the New Testament, in, sorry, in the, in the later on, Jehoshaphat, the king of Israel, he's also in this, that same place. And he knows that these two kingdoms are more powerful than Moabites and the Ammonites. They are so big and they're so powerful, powerful, more powerful than them. And he's aware that they're about to attack. And the same thing happens. He goes and he prays before God. He prays and he prays and he prays and he calls prophets. Prophets tell him, hey, don't worry. God is going to fight a battle for you. And he's like, God, fight a battle. Look at us. We are a very small army. There are two kingdoms. They're coming. They're invading. And somehow, God said, don't worry, you don't have to fight. Just line up for battle. Imagine that. I'm having to wear my armor and everything. And the purpose of wearing my armor is not to fight, but to line up for battle. And they lined up for battle, getting ready to do the stuff. And then, as they lined up, there they are. God set up an ambush. And the people of Moab and the Ammonites were completely ambushed, and they start fighting against each other. And there they are. They destroyed each other. God did it. With no human help, he just does it. We heard from Natalia this morning about the Gethsemane, Jesus, as he was about to be taken away. And the Peter is trying to fight the battle, the human, he's trying to fight with a sword. And Jesus says, don't fight, it's all right. Don't fight, let them take me. But what he also says is, do you not know that I could easily, easy, this is so easy, I could send 12 legions from, from heaven to come and destroy these guys. What's he saying? He said, you don't have to fight. 
if I wanted to fight, I wouldn't be getting you guys because you are just about to disappear as well. Because when I get taken to the cross, no one is going to know where you are. You lot, you're all going to disappear. One of you is going to end up there. One of you is going to stand by the fire and pretend he doesn't know me. And it's you, by the way. You pretend you're strong now. Hey, take it easy. Chill. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, there's an army that's always waiting to fight for me. It's not going to fight for me this time because something else has to be done. It has to be completed. So God fights the battles in his own way through his heavenly army. But what about Israel as the people of God? The sort of battles they have to, they've had to fight and how did God fight those battles for them? What kind of battles were they that they had to fight? There were two types of battles that the people of God had to fight. The first one was freedom, the battle of, for freedom, to be set free. There are many countries, even over the, the years, we've had to fight to be set free. Maybe from another power, from another king, from another, um, from another country. They had to fight to be set free. The people of God had to fight for freedom, but they also had to fight to advance. And there are two things that I believe are also impressed upon the church. The fight for freedom and fight for advance. Those are the big things. They fought to be set free from slavery. And the way it happened, it wasn't like the whole army doing it. It was like, Moses, I'm calling you. You are the man of God. Go and do the, your, your thing. And Moses stands before Pharaoh. He throws his stuff down, and things begin to happen. He's fighting a battle here. And Pharaoh, he's a stiff-necked guy. He doesn't want to do it. And eventually, he lets go. And they go. They're fighting to be set free. And eventually, they get to the, to the edge of the waters and they're just about to cross and something is about to, to happen. The, the sea is about to part and they see the chariots of Pharaoh coming, charging at them. And they, they go past and Pharaoh and his chariots wiped out. It's a fight to be set free. We want to fight for freedom. And they are in exile later and they're still fighting for freedom. They fight to be rescued from Babylon and eventually we know they were set free from Babylon. They fight for freedom. But in the wilderness, one of the things they were fighting for, there was a fight for freedom. Fight for freedom from unbelief. They, all had, they had times when it was just desert. There was nothing else. They're walking for miles and miles. We're talking 40 years here. It's been a long time. Imagine you need faith for 40 years to trust God in the wilderness for 40 years. Some of us, two days is enough. When God doesn't come, oh no, he's not good enough. He doesn't have, uh, he's, he's not powerful. We're talking 40 years, barrenness, unbelief at them all the time. Is, it, is, that, is that the God that you, who rescued you? Maybe, maybe he's left you here. Idolatry. What about the God of Egypt? Why don't you worship him? No, we are free from this. When we left Egypt, we were free from this. And we are not going to tolerate idolatry. We're going to fight it and we're going to destroy it and we're going to be free. What are some of those battles you're fighting for freedom? But we'll look, we'll look into that in a bit. Battle for advance. They weren't just being set free. They were going somewhere. The people of God have always been going somewhere, free from something and free towards something else, right? And they had to advance. Even if it was 40 years in the wilderness, there was 
purpose. God had given them vision. It was, he said, land flowing with milk and honey. That's where you are going. Oh, Lord, but look at the river Jordan. It's so big. No, you're going to charge ahead. You're going to advance. You're going to go further. You're going to go beyond that. You need to cross. You need to go. There are nations to conquer. And they cross over. They get to, to the land. And it's not for free. It's not cheap. There are nations that are already there. They have to fight this nation to destroy this nation. There's a battle that lies ahead for them. And they advance and they take over the land, but they don't destroy all the nations. And then later on, they find themselves having rebelled again against God. And they find themselves having to go to exile and spend a long time there. And God rescues them again. And they go back to advance to build the city of Jerusalem for God. We are fighting battles of freedom and battles of advance. We always fight in those two types of battles and we'll always be fighting those but just as we are about to enter the New Testament, something is happening. God is wanting to destroy this creature once and for all. And he doesn't send little battalions here and there, but he sends the great commander of the army. Jesus Christ, he enters the world to come and to destroy this power. And even from the time when he was a baby, Jesus Christ was already being looked for so that the enemy might wipe him out. So remember, Jesus is a baby. Herod is there. Herod is saying, I, I'm going to destroy all the kids, all the, all the babies this age and that age. And the reason I want to do that is because I know there is the savior of the world here. He ends up in Egypt and he comes back later and he's grown and he is, Herod has already died. God rescued him for that, prepared him. He finds himself in the wilderness just as he's about to enter his, his ministry. He is in the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights. And the enemy says, I know who you are. You are the commander of the army and you come to destroy me. But I want to make sure that you don't do that. And the best way to do that is I need to come and try to tempt you. I'm going to tell you how amazing you are. And I'm going to promise you some good things. And he says, I'll give you this city if you worship it. I'll give it. And Jesus says, no way. He refuses the temptations and he triumphs over the enemy later. But what has he come to do? He has come to destroy the work of the evil one, 1 John 3, 8. That means when he gathered the 12, when he gathered the 72, the purpose of that was to build army barracks around the world called the church. And those army camps were to be mobilized so that the enemy might be defeated. He has come to destroy the work of the evil one. And when Jesus sees demons, what does he do? When he, he rebukes them and he says, be silent. I don't want to hear from you because I've come to destroy you. And then he says, no man can enter a strong man's house and spoils his goods, except he will first bind the strong man and then he will destroy his house. Jesus has come. This is the strong man, the enemy, who we, the Bible calls him the, the God of this world, has set up barracks around the world, and Jesus has come. And his purpose now is to set up barracks that will destroy every single one of those so that he might take the world and take it for, for himself. And he's doing that. The way he does it, he does it through the cross. 
He doesn't do it in any other way. And on the cross, people think and the enemy thinks that Jesus has lost the battle because he is there, helpless as anything, and he's hanging like this. But God knows that when the enemy thought that the death has destroyed him, death could not hold him down. And on the third day, Jesus Christ, out from the grave, he rose again into new life. Not only has he defeated Satan now, but he's defeated death and sin. And he triumphs completely over them. Colossians says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them on the cross. A moment of history where Jesus Christ takes over what is rightly his. What about the church? Jesus didn't just win the battle, but he raised a community of the Spirit called the church so that they too, while Jesus has disarmed the enemy, might continue his battle by taking over where the enemy has made presence. How do they do that? By preaching the gospel. Let me tell you this. The enemy is still around because we are living in the now kingdom of God and the not yet kingdom of God. The enemy is destroyed, but the enemy is not yet fully taken out. What do I mean by that? The Bible makes it very clear that he has been disarmed He's a toothless lion who's standing there prowling every day and you think he is very dangerous, he will destroy you. No, you have been given the power, you have been given everything for, by God to destroy the power and the work of the enemy. What the battles look like now for Christians? Number one, it's not just my battle but the battle is God's creation. God is not just wanting to set you free from certain things. God wants his universe and his world free from the evil one. The battle is the battle over all creation, Romans 8, 1, 9. Number two, there are personal battles, but our personal battles are part of the bigger battle as well. Number three, our battles are not against flesh and blood. A lot of us spend time trying to destroy one another because we think that the battle is against flesh and blood. No, the battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. But also, God has given you everything you need to fight the battles. And also, put on the whole armor of God. And the armor of God, listen to this, God is not going to put an armor around you. The Bible makes it very clear that that armor is made available, but each and every one of us has to put it on. And by the way, to put the armor of God around us, we need quite a few things. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to know about faith, to put on the armor of God in the way that God wants us to. We need the Bible to help us with direction, to help us to know quite what that battle looks like and how to best fight it. But we also need community. We need one another. Even as we profile city groups today, as we talk about city groups, let me say this. You cannot fight this kind of battle, the spiritual battle, on your own. If you think you are super powerful and you are great and you can fight this in, in isolation, 
I have news for you. You cannot. It's impossible. In the New Testament, Christians never got to fight the battle on their own. They fought it in community. Plug yourself into a good community of the Spirit, the people who are going to help you to fight the battle and win the battle that is before you. We need to fight together. In closing, there's so many battles around us. You have the battle of the tongue, where oftentimes there's a freedom battle where you need to be set free. My tongue just cannot stop. When it comes to gossip, when it comes to speaking ill of others, I just can't stop. I believe God wants to set you free. You need to be free from that. What about the battle or temptation? I just can't do it. It's just it's impossible. Food, sex, other things. I just can't do it. God wants to say to you, you are more than conqueror in Christ. What about stronghold battle? Do you suffer here from rebellion, anger, rejection, and other stronghold? God wants to set you free. What about apostasy? Do you find yourself falling away from God, falling away from the church, falling away from your city group? Because the dark Lord will always say, your city group is a problem. Your church is a problem. Your leaders are a problem. All these people are a problem. Fall away. You need to fight the battle of freedom and say, be free. I want to be free from that. What about the counterfeit? battle where you're always confronted with something that looks like and sounds like the gospel but is not the gospel and you've believed the lie. God wants to set you free from that. What about sickness and death and busyness? Paralyzes you from serving God. You spend all your time running around. God, or you are crippled with sickness. God wants to set you free. But it does not become the thing that holds you down. Freedom. What about relationship battles where either it's someone in the church or it's someone in your house, in your home, your brother, your sister, your wife, your daughter. It just seems to happen. It just seems to be happening one thing after the other. God wants to set us free from that. What about a battle over your future? You live with anxiety all the time about the future, about the next step. God wants to set you free from that anxiety to put your future in his hands. There are also battles for advance, which means God doesn't want us to just fight battles to be set free, but also to fight battles to charge ahead as an army of God on a mission. Changing the atmosphere as we had of our city. Prayer is a battle where you take ground for Jesus Christ. Evangelism is another one. Fighting for against injustice in this world. It's a battle where you are charging, you are pushing back forces of darkness, fighting poverty, building strong family. All these are battles of advance. And let me ask you, what battles are you fighting at the moment? And when you win a battle, it's not just you. The church has won a battle. We are God's army. We are dressed for battle. God has given us his Holy Spirit. God has put us in the community. And God wants to mobilize us to win battles for his namesake.
just where you are, just close your eyes. Father God, may this church raise a war cry against the powers and the forces of darkness. May we never live our lives like the enemy does not exist. May we never be ignorant. But Lord, may we not elevate him and keep talking about him all the time as though he's very important. Lord, I pray today that battles will be won in this place. Lord, I pray right now, whether it's the battle of to be set free from debt, I pray may we win that battle. May people be free from debt in this place. Whether, Lord, we are busy all the time and there's not even a moment that we can give to God, we are your army, Lord, and we want to be busy with your, with your business. And I pray today, set us free from the spirit of busyness. Set us free from the spirit of addiction. Set us free from the spirit, Lord, or the strongholds in our lives. Set us free from anger. Set us free from rebellion. Set us free. Let your army, Lord, not be holding things that it's not supposed to be holding. May, may we be running with the gospel. May we be taking the nations. May we be taking this city. May we be, Lord, advancing, charging, and seeing people saved for Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray today, let it be a loud war cry in City Hill that Jesus Christ has won the victory. The devil is disarmed, and today, though the victory belongs to our Lord, I pray today that all of us here will testify of some of the victories that, that we have won in Jesus' name. May you help us, Lord, as individuals to win battles, Lord, that are just for us as individuals, but battles that are over our families, battles, Lord, over our couples here, and battles over the church here. I pray today, Lord, that we will be a church that sees victory in everything. Lord, we had that word even as we started the year. We had that word from Anne about victories. Lord, I pray, may this year be a year of victory in every way. Do you believe that? This year is a year of victory. And Jesus Christ, we pray today that you will win every victory. May we not leave anything behind. Lord, may we declare today that the victory belongs to you. Lord, as we leave this place today, Lord, help us to raise a war cry, to not tolerate things that are not of you. But Lord, may we take this battle seriously. And I ask today, Lord, Lord Jesus, you would come and fight for us through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And all God's people say, Amen. Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church.